You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from Jess Conley. Jess, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Let's try again. Good morning. I'm Jess. How are you guys doing? That's right. This is how we fight our battles. We submit to God's word and we come together and get under it and let it change our lives and change our hearts. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys something funny and then I'm not going to say anything else funny for a long time. So soak this up, okay? Um, The other day, Nick and I were watching ESPN, of all things. Uh, That's normal for him, not for me. And they were talking about who is the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time at basketball. I guessed, they weren't, it was just on the screen, I guessed, does anybody want to guess? Michael Jordan. I didn't know, but I guessed right. Um, And I was proud, and so they were talking about who's the greatest of all time. And so then I said, hey, Nick, what are you the greatest of all time at? Like, what are you the GOAT at? And he was like, good question, good question. He was like, I think I'm the goat at dreaming. And I was like, you are. If you don't know Pastor Nick, he's a, he's a really good dreamer. If you have a dream, if you have something that's like really outlandish that you want to do with your life, he's the best person to tell because he'll be like, you should do it. Um, he's, a, he's a wild dreamer. And then he was like, what about you? What are you the greatest of all time at? And I thought about it for a second, and I was like, what am I the greatest of all time at? And I knew instinctively in my soul what I'm the greatest of all time at. And that is that I am the greatest of all time at awkwardly opening doors for people. Um, I, I have said I need like a graduate level course in how to open the door for someone else. Because what I do, please somebody tell me if you guys relate, is I really want to be a person who opens the door for people. That's something I feel in my soul. Um, and so what I do is I, if we're all walking in somewhere, I'll be like, here you go, and I open, and then somehow I walk through, like first. I like can't do it where I open, and every time you would think, I've been working on it for, I've been literally working on it for years. I'll be walking up, and I'll be like, just just open it and get out of the way, but something about my feet don't know where to go, and then I just walk through first, and I seem like a jerk, and in my soul, I'm like, I want to, I want to be the, I wanted to have opened that door, and I I walked through it. Um, If you're wondering if there's a metaphor there, there's not. I'm just like really bad at opening doors. Um, I'm not good at it, and I really want to work at it, and we've been in this sermon series called You've Heard It Said. You've heard it said, and we've been ad- addressing these like cultural messages that we receive about ourselves, about the kingdom, about God, about one another, and just asking, like, is this actually true? And so today, I want to hit the cultural message that a lot of us have been hearing and are hearing overtly and subtly, and that is, you've heard it said that church is the problem. You've heard it said that church is the problem. I don't know about you, but I have heard it overtly said, like, church is the problem. Like, church is the actual problem. It is the worst thing in culture right now. It's the problem. It is where all the issues are coming out of. And I also hear it subtly. Um, I also see it on people's faces. I see it on people's faces when I tell them I work at a church. And I can tell they're like, cool. For you, not really. Um, it's, it's there. It's this underlying idea that, like, church is the problem. It's what's wrong with us. 
Um, it's the house of where things go wrong. Um, and so I was thinking about what we're the greatest of all time at, and I was thinking, like, you know, I think part of the problem is that a lot of us, number one part of the problem, a small part of the problem, is that we come to the church with some presuppositions about what the church should be the greatest at. Um, but I think some of it is because we're just not always hitting our potential. We're not always the greatest at preaching the gospel. We're not always the greatest at serving people. The collective church is not always the greatest at sharing and showing Jesus' love to people. The church is not always the greatest at being the most generous. The church is not always the, the greatest for seeing the sick healed and the poor fed. Um, there's a lot of areas where there's massive shortcomings. And so thinking about that, I, I wanted to just pause right here and tell you, we'll obviously get into this a lot, um, but I want to tell you here at Bright City, I've seen both. I've seen both. Um, I've seen people wander into this building literally just straight off the street needing food and get fed and be spiritually fed. And I've seen marriages restored. And I've seen promises um, be spoken over people's lives and see those come to fruition. And I've seen people get healed in this church. And I've seen um, redemption happen. And I've seen growth happen. And I've seen people get saved. And I've also seen the hard stuff too right here in this church. I've seen gossip. And I've seen lies. And I've seen um, pride. And I've seen laziness. I've seen all of those things too. Um, and so I just want to hold that here with you. Like, it's, it's both and. It's, it's a little messy. But before we kind of ask some questions of ourselves and really ask some questions of the church, I want us to have a solid footing about what Jesus says about the church. What Jesus says about the church. And in the next couple of minutes, I'm going to hit you with a ton of scripture. Um, and so if you have something you want to write with, if you look at a Bible on your phone, if you want to just jot these passages down, I want you to be able to go back to them later and really dig into them and ask, like, what do you think he's saying here? What do you see is happening here. Now, the reason why I want to ask the question, what does Jesus say about the church, is because in the Old Testament, prior to Jesus' birth, we see an intense care of and dedication to the temple of God, the house of God. A lot of the Old Testament is about like how to set up the house of God, how it should be handled, how people should lead within it, what should happen there. We see an intense attention to detail to the house of God. But what happens is this incredible miracle happens that when Jesus comes and is born and lives a sinless life and dies and is resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes, we become the temple of God. We become the living vessels of the Spirit of God. And so it, the, the Spirit of God no longer lives in one place, but it's dispersed throughout his people. So the reason why I want to look at what Jesus says about the church is because the Spirit of God now lives in all of us. So what do we need the church for? So we're going we're gonna to look just at two different passages really quickly, and I want you to know, just so you have the full picture, because a lot of times people are like, but did he really mean church, or did he mean like community, did he just mean like a group of people? The word that Jesus uses is ecclesia, which means church. It actually means an assembly, a religious congregation. So when Jesus talks about the ecclesia, he's not talking about a group of friends. He's not talking about a loosely labeled community. He is talking about the church. He is talking about the people of God gathered with structure and authority. So he, Jesus, uses the word ecclesia twice in scripture. 
One is in Matthew 18, and I'm not even going to read that passage to you, but um, you can go look at it later if you want to. In Matthew 18, we should see some intense foreshadowing here because Jesus uses the word ecclesia, church, when he's talking about how to handle conflict. So we should know that where the church is, there's going to be conflict. There's going to need to be, imagine of all the things Jesus could say about the church, one of the two of the things, half of what he says about ecclesia is like, you're going to have to have a plan for when people fight because it's going to happen. There's some foreshadowing here. He says Ecclesia in Matthew 18, but also in Matthew 16, I do want to read this passage to you. And this is the first time he uses the word Ecclesia, the church. And it's when he's talking with his disciples and Jesus is addressing the fact that there's a lot of confusion about what people think about him. Is he the Messiah? Is he a political leader? Is he a prophet? And so Jesus says to Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? What do you think that I am? And here's what happens. Simon Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, Ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He is giving some serious establishment, not only to Peter, who he know is going to betray him, but to the ecclesia, to the church. You're going to have authority. There's going to be leadership and there's going to be spiritual authority in the ecclesia. Now we see the word ecclesia crop up a ton in the rest of the New Testament. We see this word used a lot, but we specifically start seeing it come up a lot in Acts 2. And I'm going to read to you from Acts 2. Again, jot this down or follow along with me. But this is the descriptive picture of the early church that I believe is also spiritually prescriptive for us in the ecclesia. And it's a passage that if you've spent any time in the church, you're probably a little familiar with. And it's talking about these new believers. They devoted themselves to to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here in this early church picture of the ecclesia, we see them spending time together as chief easy it is as it is. We see them doing life together. We see them eating together. We see them sacrificing for one another, saying like, you can have my money, you can have my stuff. And what we see is that it's so compelling that other people want to be a part of it. And they meet Jesus because this community is so beautiful and so compelling. This is Ecclesia. So where have we gone wrong? How have we gotten to this place where our lived experience for so many of us is so different than this? Before we ask those questions, I actually want to put a huge pin in this conversation. And if you will, I want to come off on this tangent um, that to me feels almost as important as the rest of the things we're going to talk about. 
Um, and I want to share with you uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And it's Jesus and John the Baptist during Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, I'm a big John the Baptist fan. I call him JTB. He's like a wild guy. Um, but if you're not familiar, here's the deal. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He was prophesied and appointed to prepare the way for Jesus' earthly ministry. So as he's born, he goes out into the wilderness and he starts baptizing and repenting, calling people to repentance and preaching this wild message like prepare yourselves. Messiah is coming. Now is the time. He's a wild guy. Um, and people come and they repent. They hear this message and they repent and they get ready um, and they're readying their hearts. And, and it's just incredible, their relationship. And obviously Jesus is the son of God and John the Baptist is like a sinful human. But both of their ministries are just marked by some intimacy with one another and wild humility and wild obedience. Um, John does what God tells him to do, even though he is massively misunderstood. And we see this beautiful moment in Scripture that we're not even going to touch today, but we see this beautiful moment in Scripture. Um, it's in a couple of the Gospels where John is outside baptizing people, and J Jesus comes to him and says, like, John, you're supposed to baptize me. And John says, like, I'm not. I'm not fit to baptize you, Jesus. You're the Messiah. And, and Jesus says, John, it has to be this way. This is the way it's supposed to be. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and a dove descends, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, and that is when Jesus' earthly ministry starts. So this is a powerful moment, a lot of unity between the two of them, right? A lot of power, a lot of beauty, but this is later on in both of their ministries. So this is in Matthew 11. And what happened is that Jesus continues to travel and John the Baptist continues to travel with his disciples. And John the Baptist gets in trouble for preaching truth. And he's actually imprisoned and he will later be beheaded. And I, I don't want to make a ton of conjectures here about John the Baptist, but I do want us to just kind of imagine what he's feeling. I did what God told me to do. I prepared the way. I called the people to repent and be baptized and now I'm here in jail. And Jesus is out there. And so we see this moment in Matthew 11. And it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Like what I hear in this is John saying, like, is this it? Is this how it's supposed to go? I'm going to, it's going to be like this? Are you the one? Are you real? Jesus replies. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What I hear in Jesus is like, I see it, John. I acknowledge it. This is not good. This is hard. I am the one. I do have a plan, but I have compassion and affection. And I'm saying, please don't be offended and please don't fall away on account of this. Stick with me. 
And then what happens is John the Baptist's disciples leave. They go back to him. And I love this. This is what I can't get over about Jesus. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. People who wear fine clothes are in a king's palace. What did you go to see? A prophet. Yeah, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one of whom it's written. I will send my messenger ahead of you. You will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, this is Jesus saying, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what I hear Jesus saying is like, John, I know it's not supposed to be this way. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm the guy. I'm still the guy. I love you. Please don't fall away. I count on me. And then his disciples leave and Jesus is like, do you guys know how great John is? Do you know how great he is? And then he says like, he's the, he's the best. He's the best man. And then he looks at all of them and he's like, but you guys are the best too. Anyone who's the least of these in the kingdom of heaven is better than him. Like, you're all the best. I just see this wild compassion that Jesus has for something that is not good, something that is very problematic. And I bring up this story because it has ministered to me so much as a person who has seen so many problems in the church. And I look at God and I'm like, what are you doing? What, really, still? You still want us to do this? You still want us to, okay. And I, I see this look on Jesus' face that's like, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. Blessed who is anyone who doesn't stumble because of me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't fall away on my account because, yes, this is hard. It's problematic. And I just pray that as we ask these questions about church today, and is church the problem? And if so, what do we do about it? I pray you see Jesus' face and his compassion and this wild wisdom that he can hold, that things are not good and they don't feel right, and yet he has a plan and he has compassion for his kids. I think what we're seeing is his awareness, his compassion, his affection, and I think he has it for us today. So there's that. I have three questions for you. I have very little answers. I pray that these questions will serve you as you ask them. Ask them with God. Ask them with people you're in community with. And we'll see where we all land together. The first question is, why is the church so problematic? Well, what do we have time for? You know what I'm saying? Uh, we could start with colonialism or capitalism or sexism or racism. Um, there's a million different things that are incredibly problematic about the current church, about the past church, about the historical church. There's a million things. There's a million things wrong with the church. Why is the church so problematic? Here's the scriptural reason the church is so problematic. I'm reading now from Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The biblical answer for why is the church so problematic is because it's filled with a bunch of people who need God. It's filled with a bunch of people who sin. It's led by a bunch of people who need God. 
it's led by a bunch of people who sin. Now, I don't have, again, a lot of answers here, but I have an asterisk like to this question that I want to just hand to you from my learned experience. This is not Bible teaching. It's just my perspective. I find that the church becomes so much less problematic when the people who come into it and the people who lead it acknowledge that they sin and acknowledge that they need God. I think we have a really catastrophic problem right now with church leadership where they feel like they have to pretend like they're perfect. They feel like they have to pretend like they don't sin. So then they fall and they do things in private and we put them on a pedestal and they get knocked down on the way down. And then I also think as church leadership, we have a problem when we look at people and expect them not to need God and we expect them not to sin and we expect them not to have issues. Whereas I think one thing that makes some something's a little bit easier is if we all come in here and say we do not graduate from the gospel salvation is a one-time event and yet we keep needing to repent we almost need to move toward one another with an expectation that we're going to hurt each other and we almost need to move toward one another with an expectation that we're going to hurt each other and a plan for what to do when we do, which I think simply might be like repent, confess, and shift our behavior. But it works a little bit better when we all come into this and say like, I know you're human, I know you're broken, I know you need God, I know that this place is not for the well, it's for the sick. And, and we can all hold our hands up and acknowledge that. It's not necessarily honestly comfortable. <laughs> It's not, it's actually like a lot funner to come to a place and pretend like you're great. And it's actually like a lot more fun to come to a place and pretend like the people that you're receiving from are great and tidy. And, and it, it does become a little bit consumeristic, but it's a little bit more enjoyable and like simpler. So I'm not saying this is like an easy path or plan, but something does seem to become a lot less problematic when we just hold our hands up and say like, I'm going to need God again and again and again. And you're going to need God again and again and again. Why is the church so problematic? Here's our second question. Can we love Jesus and hate the church? Can we love Jesus and hate the church? For this, I just kind of turn to 1 Peter 2.9. Um, and in 1 Peter 2.9, the, the words are spoken to the body of believers that says, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, purchased out of darkness and brought into a great light. And I find that things can get a little problematic when we see Jesus as like, hey, I said yes to Jesus, I choose Jesus, and we forget that we're actually called out of darkness and rescued into a family. We're actually not having these like totally singular experiences with Jesus without anyone else. Salvation in and of itself and absolutely sanctification are processes that happen in the midst of a larger family. Um, and so I would just say, I, I can't answer this question for you, but I would say it's really hard to hate the family that you've been purchased into. 
it's really hard to have disdain for them. And let's do another little asterisk right here. You might be like, I don't hate the church. I don't hate the church. I don't hate the church. I would say, like, let's also look back at Jesus' teaching where he says, you've heard it said you shouldn't kill. You've heard it said you shouldn't have adultery. I say if you do it in your heart, you've already done it. And so I would say, like, we're probably all complicit in having a moment where we've hated the church. We've hated somebody in the church. We're probably all complicit in this. I, I am. Can you love Jesus and hate the church? Can you love Jesus and hate his appointed vessel for bringing the kingdom to light? We read Matthew 5 every week. But you got to remember, when Jesus spoke Matthew 5, he wasn't speaking it to one person. He was speaking it to the ecclesia. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. How we also know scripturally, he was talking about the ecclesia, is because later in Revelation, we see him call the church the lampstands. You, the church, are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Can we love Jesus and hate his appointed vehicle for the kingdom coming to earth? Can we love Jesus and hate what he loves? Because he loves the church. Nick says it all the time. If you're one of those people who says, like, I love God, but I hate people, then you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate it. You're not really going to. Your heart's going to be changed. It's a whole situation. But, like, why not start practicing now? Here's, let's pause here. This is a more subtle but very frequent message that I hear in 2022 about, like, you've heard it said the church is the problem. I hear from people all the time, um, like, listen, my community is great. Like, I don't, I have Jesus and I have an incredible community. Um, I have a group of friends and we do life together. And so let's pause there and say, like, is that enough? Is it enough to have a group of people um, that you just do life with and you hang out with? I cannot answer that question for you, but I can give you some, I can give you some, some more pictures. And here's, here's the first thing you need to know is that your group of friends are still all sinners and they still all need God. And so if you're running from the church because you think a community will be more simple, what is going to happen when your friends sin against you and you sin against them? It's going to be the same thing. You can't, you can't escape being human when you get out of the church, unfortunately. There's a few other things. There's, there's some structure and some authority in the church that when done rightly is actually really helpful. For example, Nick and I cannot decide tomorrow that we want to take all the money and go to Vegas. There's about eight people who will stop us, which is awesome for you, right? Um, I cannot wake up tomorrow and be like, well, I've decided that I am the second coming of the Messiah. There's about six people who will be like, um, you can't say that. Stop. Because there's structure and there's authority here. And I'm using really big examples, but, like, it's really helpful in, in small decisions we're making that there's authority here. And there's structure here. And there's a plan. Sometimes we get off plan. Then we get back. I'll also tell you something else. There is diversity here, even though right now in 2022, we would love for specifically Bright City to see so much diversity. I mean more than how we look, but I'm saying there's something powerful about sitting next to someone who doesn't vote like you 
And there's something powerful about being around people who don't listen to the exact same podcast you listen to. There's something incredibly powerful about seeing the kingdom of God come in that 30-year-olds need to be around 3-year-olds and 20-year-olds need to be around 60-year-olds. We need to be up close to what other people in the kingdom, not just the people we would naturally gravitate towards, look like. And that doesn't necessarily happen if we say, like, I'm going to just hang out with my friends and that's going to be my church. Then Jesus will start to sound a lot like you and your friends. And his voice will start to sound a lot like what you listen to. But here when we come together, there is a little bit more, there are more pathways for that diversity to come in. Why is the church so problematic? Can we love Jesus and hate the church? My last question is this, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, my first, I want to go back to just re- reminding you that what Jesus's, what Jesus's face might have looked like when he's, when he's talking about how much he loves John and when he's saying, blessed are you for not falling away on my behalf. Um, and I would say the first thing we can do is we can get healing for those of us who I would imagine is most of us have been hurt by the church. Um, I tried to uh, list out some of the, the bigger ways that I've experienced church hurt um, in the like however many years since I became a believer. Interestingly, like a few, a few of them had to do with shoes. I was like, that's weird. That's a weird thing. Um, I, I, some of y'all have heard this story. Like one of the first times I ever uh, preached, don't get distracted by this, but it is funny. Uh, one of the first times I ever preached in a church, I got sent home because my shoes were inappropriate. Like true story. Um, I've, seen, I've seen mishandling of money. I've seen a hatred of like vulnerability and weakness. I remember one time Nick and I were at a, a community group in our like early 20s and I was crying. Um, and the next day, uh, the guy who led the group called Nick and said, like, you really got to get your wife together. Like, she can't, she can't, she can't be so emotional all the time. I, I've seen, like, abuse, abuse of leadership. I've seen wild um, assumptions made about me, about other people. I, uh, Nick and I were a part of a church that was so toxic <laughs> that they recorded a very well-known podcast about it. Um, and recently I listened to the podcast and um, I got to tell you, like, what struck me most was not just how broken that church was, but how much God had healed me. And so I say, like, what do we do about it? Number one, I think we need to get healed, a lot of us. I think we need to hold our church hurts or our frustrations or our pains up to God and say, help. I think we need to do this in community. I can't suggest enough being a part of a Bright City group because it's a great place to seek this kind of healing, to talk about it. Um, but I think we need to get healing. And, and that leads me to number two, my second thing I think we can do. I think we need to go somewhere where we're being changed into the image of God, but where we can also affect change. 
If somebody asked me, like, what kind of church should I go to? What should I look for in a church? I would say you should go somewhere where you will be transformed and changed by the power of God. But you should absolutely go somewhere where you can affect some change. Where when you see a problem, you can be a part of the solution. And I will tell you that so much of my healing has come from getting to be a part of the solution. So much of the healing that I've experienced specifically, I would say, with sexism in the church has come from building a church where women get to lead. And so much of the misabuse and the, or the misuse and the abuse of power that I've seen in other churches, the healing has come from building, building a church where we, where we have a culture of ownership, where we say, like, you're an owner of this mission. What do you want to do? How do you want to lead? We're, we're going to actually continually absolve ourselves of the power. And, and so I want to tell you, if you are just sitting on the sidelines and saying, like, I got a lot of hurt and I'm pretty frustrated and I'm bitter and I'm frustrated, I would say, like, number one, get healing. Remember Jesus' face. Remember his compassion and his mercy, but also get in there. Because being a part of the change is where a lot of the healing is. And then lastly, I would say we got to stay close to Jesus. We collectively are going to have to stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus so our hearts stay soft. Stay close to Jesus so we remember what he loves, which is his church. Stay close to Jesus so that when we are the offenders, when we are the offensive, we can get the grace we need and try again. We've got to stay close to Jesus. I think about that passage I think, about, I think about Jesus saying, like, John, blessed are you if you don't fall away on my behalf. I've read a bunch of different versions of it. Blessed are you if you're not offended by me. Blessed are you if you don't fall away on account of offense. Um, and I'll tell you guys, um, in 2020, just in the thick of, like, you know, I feel like for Nick and I, like every pastor we knew was quitting, uh, we went on sabbatical for a month. And um, we kind of, we Nick and I kind of made this like private pact with one another that would be terrifying had we like told everybody else about it. But we privately said to one another, we're going to take everything off our calling and we're going to see what God puts back on. We're going to say like, we, we're going to take even church off the calling and say, if God puts it back on, we'll come back to it. But we need to hear from God. It was just a, just a really rough, like a really rough, like gut check moment. Um, and, and so the first, like, 10 days of that month-long sabbatical were, like, were so swirly because we were, like, who are we? What, do, what are we doing? Like, what is our identity? Who are we? And I would say somewhere around the second, third, like, God put it back on and said, like, you're people who love the church. You're people who build the church. And I thought a lot about this passage then. Um, and somewhere around that time, I felt like God was asking me, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want with the church? And for the first time in my life, you've probably heard me say it since then if you've been around Bright City at all, but for the first time in my life, I started saying, I want to see the renewal of the American church. And at first I just said it to God in my journal, I want to see with my eyes, I want to see the renewal of the American church. And then I said it to Nick, and then I started to say it, to other people. And then I just started to get comfortable saying it because it's so big. Like, where do we even start?
I think that, I think that for me, this is the answer. I think that I have to change the conversation from what's wrong with the church to like, why does Jesus love it? And how can I love it well too? I think that I have the, I have the pass to talk about it for the rest of my life. I can, I can talk about how hard it is and I can talk about how busted it is and I can talk about how other people are doing it wrong. And I can be mad and I can be prideful and I can be critical. You can actually build something pretty big on being critical. But I feel like God's saying like, I love this, will you love it with me? And, and part of loving it is gonna be changing it. And part of loving it is gonna be repenting. And part of loving it is gonna be correcting it and correcting ourselves. But like, love this thing that I love with me. And, and since he started just again to shift my eyes towards that, I feel like I can see it again, y'all. I feel like I can see Charleston shifting. I can, not in the physical, but in the spiritual. And in the future, I can, I can see with my, with my spiritual eyes, with my hope, I can see people meeting Jesus in a culture that's all about consumerism and play. I, I can see the restoration that's going to happen culturally. I can see the restoration that's going to happen between the genders in Charleston. I can see the poor getting fed consistently from our church, not like a twice a year campaign. I can see people seeing this building as a safe place, a safe place again. I can see leaders being called up. I can see men and women being equipped and encouraged for the work of the gospel. I can see a city on a hill. And I don't know if it's going to take eight years or 80 years. But if y'all are in, I'm in. And actually, if you're not in, I'm in. But I'd love for us to all be in. Let's pray. Jesus, we really do need healing. And I, I, don't, I know it's not going to happen in a, a second. But maybe us asking for it could happen in this second. And we really do... need a place to put down our offense. Because this is not necessarily how we thought it was going to be. And more than that, we need vision and we need to love what you love because you love it. We need to love the people that you love because you love them. We need soft hearts and we need willing hands. Lord, do we need willing hands? We want to see the renewal of your church in our city, in our time. And that's such a big thing to ask for. But the first thing we can do is start with us. So would you start with us? Would you help us to respond to your word in Jesus' name?
Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.